Welcome to a special Vegas Game Podcast for May 4th, 2010. Uh, for those of you that listened to our last show, you know that the first segment uh, where we were discussing uh, Wynn Resorts got um, mangled by our um, our recording solution or lack of thereof. Um, and so we thought that we would take a minute to talk about a couple of those things. Um, right now, uh, I'm here with Jeff Simpson, um, and uh, Dr. Dave Schwartz may join us, but uh, welcome, Jeff. Hey, Hunter. Um, a real quick reminder about the iPad giveaway. It's uh, Thursday, um, and there's actually now a post on the blog explaining how you can watch the giveaway live. So um, go ahead and check that out if you're interested, uh, but let's just get right back into it. Um, one of the the things that we discussed the other day that got cut was um, Steve Wynn, during the course of his normal um, press routine for the opening of Encore Macau, mentioned that he could um, he could see uh, mentioned that he was thinking about moving the company headquarters from Las Vegas to Macau. And uh, in the past, Wynn has said several times that he thinks of the company as more of a Chinese company than an American company. And um, certainly their results are heavily, heavily driven by performance at their property in Macau. Um, some folks have framed this in, uh, you know, <clears throat> by taking into account his criticism of the current administration in Washington, D.C. Uh, and um, some folks in Las Vegas have decried Wynn, saying that he um, is sort of turning his back on the city that uh, that gave him his start. So, Jeff, what I'm curious from you is, as someone that lives in Las Vegas, what are your feelings on this? Does it feel like Steve Wynn is turning his back on you, or uh, is this just a normal course of business? Well, I think it is the normal course of business, and I don't, I, don't, I wouldn't criticize him for increasing his presence in Macau. There's been a, a lot of gnashing of teeth, wringing of hands uh, here in Las Vegas by people who really like to, uh, you know, stick it to Steve. I mean, that's a very popular sport here in Las Vegas. He is, he's probably the person in town that folks are most interested in, that they most like to praise and most like to criticize. So, you know, he is a lightning rod. And in this case, um, his, um, you know, comments about spending more time in Macau, uh, preparing a corporate headquarters there, which really just means there's going to be space for him when he is there to uh, run the company for he and uh, the top folks who would be there. Um, I don't criticize him at all for that. The Macau business um, is going to be uh, continue to make a lot more money than the Las Vegas operations, and he's uh, getting ready to build um, a big new resort on Kotai. And, uh, you know, for Wynn, um, the development of a new resort is always the most interesting thing going on, uh, both in the design and uh, construction phases, um, when they're, you know, they continue to develop design elements, uh, you know, about how to, uh, you know, 
the, the final touches for the property. He's going to be very interested in that. So it just is sensible that he'd go over there. I think that, you know, all the people who are worrying about, you know, him abandoning the city that made him, you know, are just really not thinking, thinking clearly. He is not, you know, um, de- declaring some kind of a boycott on the city that made him famous. He will be spending time here in Las Vegas and in Macau. Plus, you know, I mean, he travels around the world pretty extensively. He'll continue to do that, too. So I am not um, concerned in the least, and I think a lot of the, you know, the uh, the worry here in the city is way overblown. You know, one of the things, actually, it sort of reminded me of was the flap about what uh, the what President Obama had said about Las Vegas, the two, the two periods where he's, you know, had some kind of uh, poorly chosen comments, and then everyone taking the opportunity to jump up on the soapbox and to have their five minutes. Um, to some degree, this sort of feels like that uh, when I see some of the people criticizing a company, uh, that's sort of a decision. Like, this is their opportunity to – they found an issue that they can pound into the ground for a few minutes. I think I think you're right. I mean, I think that what both of those um, stories show is that people in Las Vegas are hypersensitive. I mean, we're a market that um, does get a lot of criticism. I mean, we're sort of a uh, you know we're we're a one of a kind city that people on the outside you know it's really easy to pigeonhole us or simplify and you know sort of uh, criticize us without really knowing a lot about the market and people here in Las Vegas are very, very sensitive to that. And uh, so I think that in that way, it is sort of similar. People here are not going to, uh, you know, they just, they they aren't going to take criticism from outside or from within um, very well. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think Wynn's original statement came off as uh, somewhat broad, but he he actually has since taken the time to clarify his position a little bit, um, stating that, you know, look, uh, he's straight up said he's not planning on, uh, you know, forcing all of his corporate employees uh, onto the ferry and sending them there. He's talking about a sort of a gradual shift in the amount of time spent and the amount of attention paid, which is what any business would do, uh, especially a global operation like that. I mean, I, I, I think you're right. There seems to be a lot of oversensitivity to this point, uh, and it just makes good business sense. And he certainly did not say anything about reincorporating in China. I mean, a lot. I, I think several of the critics have made a big deal about you know the idea. You know the the liabilities he might face or the risks he might face if he reorganized in terms of legal corporate organization in in Macau, and that's not something they have in the offing, as far as I know. I mean, it would be that would very much surprise me, and I doubt that that is the case. I think that you know one of the things that when we uh, talked about when. Um, uh, the other day when we talked about this this issue, I think that if you look at what um, Wynn um, envisioned when he created the company, um, Wynn Resorts, I mean, he planned to build on the Desert Inn, but when he got the Macau um, concession, um, he re- right away 
knew how significant that was to his company. And before he opened Wynn Resorts, um, he had told me many times that, you know, this company is going to end up being more of a Chinese company than an American company. This is not something new from Steve Wynn. I mean, it's been in print um, several times. Um, and and even when he opened Wynn Macau at a press conference there, um, I asked him about that. I thought it was something that the Chinese press would probably be interested to hear from him. And he immediately uh, you know, said, yes, this company will be a Chinese-focused um, company. Um, he understood the power of the market. Las Vegas Sands had had its Sands Macau open for a few years. And, uh, you know, Wynn was sort of critical of how fast they got up. They built a box of Baccarat, as he called it. And, um, but yet the thing was pulling in hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in profit every year, more than, you know, paying for its cost of construction in one year and, you know, returning pure 100% return on investment every single year or more. Um, and so he knew that that, that the, that the um, special autonomous um, region of Macau is going to be um, hugely important for Wynn Resorts, more than justifying the expense. I think his first, uh, the Wynn Macau, when it was first opened, was, it was, I think, a billion or a little less than a billion dollars. And, you know, obviously it's more than been paid for in, in the time it's been open. And, uh, you know, the, the, the market there just gets stronger and stronger. You know, he, he's no dummy. And I think a lot of people here, nobody thinks he's a dummy, but they think that he's some kind of an ingrate for uh, focusing on Macau, and that really is, is just sort of stupid. You know, you'll see comments in, the new, in newspaper articles about Macau that sort of suggest that somehow when, when, the, when Wynn or when Sands build these big projects overseas, that somehow they're taking Las Vegas One money and investing it in Macau. And it just is a very simplified, um, you know, uh, misunderstanding of how the business works. And yet, right. that, I, I would say that at least, you know, 40, 50% of the people in Las Vegas have that misconception. They would say that somehow they were taking, you know, Las Vegas money and putting it into the Far East, when in reality, they're taking Far East money um, and putting it into a Nevada-based corporation that helps keep their less profitable or sometimes unprofitable Las Vegas casinos um, in a strong financial situation. So, you know, people here just don't understand the business all that well. Well, and if you look at the results, the quarterly results that they just released, um, you know, late last week, um, you know, once again, Macau, uh, maybe in this quarter, maybe saving the company is too strong a word, but um, they contrib contributed significantly to the bottom line. I mean, you know, it's it's amazing how well that facility is doing and continues to do. Well, certainly saving the company in any one quarter is too strong of a word. Quarters come and quarters go. I mean, you know, and you can have a bad quarter. Sometimes there's write down some, you know, but but in rea in reality, over the long ter term, um, 
you know, both properties are doing fine. Um, certainly Macau has offset recent weakness in um, in Las Vegas. Macau has been incredibly robust. When Macau has the and, – and now presumably Encore Macau, those casinos and, and have – the uh, the best position in that market, the top most VIP focused um, position. Um, they've established that quality, um, that um, perception as being the best place to play, and uh, you know just like they've done in Las Vegas, and you know that's a really great p- place to own, and it's just amazing for his brand. You know, I've talked to him many times about how. The uh, the sale of Mirage Resorts to Kirk Kerkorian um, allowed him to recreate a brand. You know, when he had Mirage Resorts, he didn't. It was not all you know, top of the line. Golden Nugget was downtown Las Vegas, a once awesome property that you know. I mean, it just had not kept up with the evolution of strip property strip properties. Treasure Island created. Um, as a as a property that's you know meant to be a little downscale from Mirage, so everything was you know Mirage Resorts. It did own the top couple properties um, when Bellagio opened, along with Mirage. But soon other properties were you know edging out Mirage, and the and and that company no longer owned exclusively the top of the market. Now Wynn Resorts. There is nothing that company operates that isn't the best in its market or along with the best in its market at worst. Um, if you want, you know, for some people who uh, persist in claiming that Bellagio or, you know, Venetian or Palazzo are up there as well, I would d- disagree with them. But I think that, um, you know, owning that top piece of real estate in each market is quite valuable. I mean, it, it creates a perception in, in gamblers and members of the public that, you know, if you want to stay at the best place, you need to stay at a win property. And that's a pretty uh, nice, nice position to be in. Right. And they're just going to take that a couple steps further. I mean, you know, it's unlikely uh win has straight up said this. He doesn't see himself investing in a new Las Vegas property anytime soon. So that golf course will probably be there for a while, but they're now uh, ramping up the talk about coach tie, which, um, you know, it's probably going to be a very large investment. And from what it sounds like, uh, they're going to try and uh, knock one out of the park yet again and operate, um, you know, the best place on coach. if not the best place in, in the uh, SAR. So it will be interesting to see, its impact on, you know, the peninsula, if that will sort of maybe <clears throat> be another step in the direction of moving more people out to Kotai, having that become more of the epicenter in Macau. Um, and obviously that's also good news for uh, Sands and, uh, and, you know, other operators that have facilities out there. I think you're right. I think clearly, um, you know, that every property that Wynn owns, well, you know, they, they can't all be right at the top forever. So when he does open Kotai, it will knock presumably Win Macau and Encore down a peg, but they'll still be the best places on the peninsula, presumably. Um, and, you know, so they'll have, if you want to consider that market separate, 
separate, the Peninsula and Kotai. Um, you know, he likely is to come in on the top at Kotai and uh, win Macau and Encore would stay at the top on the peninsula. I I don't see I there's just been too much spectacular investment with, you know, the the Grand Lisboa with the MGM property and and others, obviously including Wynn and Encore, on the peninsula for it to be um you know, Sheldon Adelson's paradigm is and he has the sands on the peninsula, but he likes to think of the peninsula as being downtown Las Vegas compared to the Strip. I think that that is just mistaken. Um, Wynn has questioned, you know, this is before he was as sure about his plans on Kotai. He's always said that he will eventually build there, but he is certainly um, does not agree that, that Kotai will supplant the primacy of of the peninsula. Um, but I think that they are likely to be two substantial and important markets. It wouldn't surprise me to see them develop a rough parity or one, maybe one or the other with a 60% share of the market and the other 40, but somewhere it's pretty much equally sharing the business. You know, each side will have its own ferry terminal, the sands operated terminal on Kotai and the, um, the other, uh, ferry terminal on the peninsula, um, and, you know, I, I think one thing that will be in the longer term will, it will be interesting to see is whether the Macau market ever breaks out of its, you know, single-day visitor mold. I mean, it, it certainly seems to have for, you know, for um, in some small way. You see the hotel business at Win, at Win Macau has been strong. There's going to be so many more hotel rooms over on Kotai that if the market can actually develop a convention business or, you know, get people to actually come and stay for a couple of days, um, then that will be a big advantage for Kotai. The, you know, up till now, and certainly in the past, the market has been a, you know, a day trip market where people come, you know, and furiously gamble the entire time they're there, maybe taking breaks to go to the bathroom or shovel a few bits of, uh, you know, inexpensive food into their mouths before before gambling more. Um, unlike Las Vegas, which is a trip that, which is, you know, typically a place where maybe Southern Californians come more often, but most visitors from around the nation and around the world come maybe once a year or even every other year. Um, so there's a big difference between those two kinds of markets, the resort market and the uh, day trip market. Atlantic City is the American version of a big day trip market. And if, if Macau can transform and become more of a resort market, that would bode well for Kotai, obviously. I think it definitely what seems clear to me is that the the Sands idea that you could um, basically go through the 50 years of evolution that we have on the Las Vegas Strip in three or four years through a bunch of massive construction, it's probably, you know, it's not really all that realistic. These things happen far more organically um, over time, and that's just the way that it is. And they're also fighting technology. Um, I think that, you know, when Las Vegas developed as a tourism market, um, as a convention market, um, you know, slowly in the 60s and then ramping up to the um, 70s and then was a, you know, 
sort of big jumps in the 80s with um, Comdex and 90s um, and the, and many, many other big trade shows. And now, you know, now the city of Las Vegas has not just the Las Vegas Convention Center, but the Mandalay Convention Center, the Sands Convention Center, and almost every hotel has its own, um, you know, pretty strong array of of convention um, facilities as well. So the city is prepared to host, you know, gigantic conventions, mid-sized conventions, small family reunions, and, you know, sort of funky conventions over at the Riviera, pool playing, and, you know, all those kind of things. So the city really has, you know, almost something for everyone. Um, You know, in Macau, that market opened just as, all the technology that allowed sort of, you know, video conferencing, you know, seamless video conferencing and that kind of stuff. And, and you know, in, in Asia, they're very early adopters on those kind of uh, um, those kind of things. And I'm not sure that for the same kind of groups we have in the United States, where they're ever going to become convention markets um, or, or convention customers. So it, it is a tough row to hoe for Las Vegas Sands in creating that convention market. I'm sure that there is some of that, and because they're really the only player in the big convention market, everyone stands to benefit, um, you know, for on the hotel side. But I think that Las Vegas Sands is the uh, is the real, you know, gambler in that um, venture to see whether they can fill the calendar up with the kind of, you know, events that Las Vegas has that, you know, pretty much keeps room nights filled, you know, at more than half of the year due to various conventions. Uh, midweek midweek rooms, you know, I mean, most people have to work during the week. It's a tougher getaway um, for them to come in the midweek. And so room rates have always been soft here unless there's a very, very big convention in town. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if Sands can do that. But you're right. It, it is going to take time. To quickly move away from Macau before we go, um, let's talk about another Far Eastern locale, um, Singapore, uh, where Las Vegas Sands has Marina Bay Sands complex. Um, can you give me a sense how important is this project for the company who also bet really very big on Kotai and had to uh, put some of that, some of those projects on hold? Um, and how big of a deal is Marina Bay Sands for Las Vegas Sands? And um, do they have a chance of hitting their uh, lofty? Um, <clears throat> prescriptions in terms of uh, what they're projecting for their financials. Well, you know, I mean, I their their uh, projections are incredibly aggressive. I think it's they want they expect to net a billion dollars a year, um, and that that you know if they hit that, I mean, it's an unquestioned home run. I, I think that even less than that, in my to my way of thinking it's still a home run if they're making you know half that um if they net half of that it's still pretty damn good um because they're just opening you know this is a you know one of the things when you compare um singapore to 
Macau. Um, there are a few things. I think the market itself in Macau is bigger and likely to stay much bigger. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but I and and but on the other hand. Um, Sands benefits from being one of only two casinos and the better located casino. Um, the you know the Genting's project is um, you know not right in the heart of the city. Um, <clears throat> Sands is, is, and the tax rate in Singapore is uh, much much lower. Um, another big advantage for. Las Vegas Sands, and then, on, but uh, but another advantage on the Macau side is that people can play in Macau casinos without having to pay an entry fee. For and outsiders can do that in Singapore as well, but for Singaporeans, they have to pay. I, I think it's about a hundred bucks a day or two thousand bucks a year per casino, and I'm not positive that they can choose casinos. Uh, I think they have to pick one. Um, which is, you know, um, it's it's a very structured <laughs> political right. system there, and that that sort of would be anathema to American gamblers. But um, so there are some there are differences between the market, but I think that the biggest, most important ones are in favor of Singapore. Um, that there's only two casinos with Sands having the better site if not the first mover advantage. And then secondly, that low tax rate. And so, you know, when you're, you know, yeah, they invested a lot of money, but every dollar they make, they only have, you know, they are throwing a Las Vegas size tax instead of a tax bite back. So, you know, and, and, and Sands has done well in the Macau market. Imagine, you know, if they can get any kind of business there in the, you know, um, they'll do very, very well. It'll be if, if they can pull that off. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, at that point, do we consider Win Resorts' decision not to bid for that concession a retroactive mistake? Um, or I know, don't just the way it goes. I don't think so. I mean, I talked to Win a lot at that time and he uh i think he had a very strong relationship with the government people in uh in singapore and uh you know publicly his stated reason for not following through was that he just had to spend too much time on um what he had going on which was at the time building encore and win macau getting win macau ready to open um you know he didn't um, say this on the record, and but I, but I wouldn't be surprised if um, you know I don't think they were going to give two licenses to two Las Vegas companies, um, and you know Genting is based in neighboring Malaysia. Um, many of the Malaysian customers um, of Genting Highlands, which is a spectacularly huge casino resort um, in Malaysia. Um, many of those customers were the same, some of the same folks that were expected to uh, flock to a Singapore casino. And um, I think that, you know, and just culturally, cultural sensitivities, you know, probably required that they give one of their licenses to an Asian company. Um, and I think that the people in 
in uh, and what Singapore was looking to do with their property in um, with with their not with the, the the license that Sands eventually got. I think that they really wanted that. Um, what Sands is considered sort of the convention um, casino property experts because they own the Sands Las Vegas. They had built. They were building at the time what looked to be an incredibly success, what would be an incredibly successful um, Kotai strip development, and had you know had put a lot of concrete on the ground already and spent a whole you know billions and billions to build that you know the the start of the Venetian Macau project. Um, I think that at the time, what Singapore was looking for was that kind of you know, tourist conventioneer element. Um, do I think Wynn would have been a strong competitor? I do, but I also think it's possible that Wynn thought that, you know, the cards were sort of lining up, that it was going to be Sands and Genting, and he may have decided, you know, the market may change in the future. Maybe they will add a third license or something at some point in the future, and he can come in and build the best place in town. Um, but, you know, he also, and you, you've heard this in many of his conference calls, he doesn't like to be in a position where he has that much debt. Um, and, you know, I think that the company would have been in much tougher shape over the last couple of years if they had already, you know, had to borrow, you know, $3 billion, $4 billion or whatever it would cost to be putting a, you know, I mean, you know, Adelson spent a couple billion more than that um, to be building something in Singapore. Instead, the company, you know, the debt ratio to uh, cash and income has been much, much more solid for Win, and their stock has, uh, you know, maintained much more of its value. Although Sands has been on a uh, a, p- a pretty good hot streak recently. Yeah. Well, I think we will probably leave it there. This is a little special segment uh, to try and make up for some of the material we lost uh, last week. Um, Jeff, thanks for taking the time on this Tuesday to uh, to talk about a few things. I really appreciate it. No problem. And sir. Um, yeah, and you know, uh, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back soon. So um, I hope everybody has a fantastic uh, week. And yeah, thanks again. Thank you, Hunter. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.